Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. We got another quail-oriented episode for you today. And uh, we're going to talk California quail and passing on the traditions. And our featured guest is a gentleman that is in the brand new video from Project Upland. And I like the Project Upland guys, but more importantly, he's the vice president of the Ventura County chapter at Quail Forever. Ruben Mata is our featured guest today. We're going to hear his riveting backstory, how he, he became a hunter. And the riveting part is how he got connected to Quail Forever because I've heard bits and pieces of this, but we're going to hear it from Ruben himself um, in just a moment. But before we get to Ruben, I'm going to introduce a co-host for this episode, the voice of, what's your Instagram account again? Dispatches from Nowhere. Is that right? <laughs> it, yes. Dispatches from Nowhere. Dispatch, Mr. Dispatches from Nowhere, also known prior to his Quail Forever editor's days, you know, you knew him as the Mallard of Discontent, right? <laughs> Man, you were really digging into the well there. <laughs> what other nicknames do you have for writing? Oh, I've got I, a ton of them. Without, oh, so... I'll introduce his name, Chad Love, editor of the Quail Forever Journal, The Mallard of Discontent, and Dispatches from Nowhere. <laughs> and, and someday we'll be a book author. We've uh, there's there's a contingent of our organization pushing Chad to write the book because we know it's gonna be a salty bestseller. <laughs> Uh, but for folks that don't know you, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, Chad. Well, my name is uh, Chad Love. Uh, I am the, as you said, the Quail Forever Journal editor, and uh, I uh, live in Oklahoma. And uh, let's see, what else do you want me to say? That's uh, that's that's pretty much it, isn't it? That's all you need to know, right? Uh, no, no, I I am I am your uh, uh, apprentice co-host on this one. Uh, there we I'm go. Try, trying to break into the podcast game. I'm trying to like earn my bones and uh, learn under the wings of the master there. And you have a, um, a new puppy. I at do. Your, at your feet. I do. Pulling out the cords to your computer. Yeah. As a matter of fact, well, actually I put her in the kennel uh, because she's uh, she's a house dog and she's a guard dog. And so when my family comes home, she's going to start barking until she recognizes the car and then she's going to start whining. So I figured it'd probably mess up the podcast. So she's currently <laughs> crated, but, uh, but yep, I've got a new English setter pup to go along with the, uh, or English pointer, or well, okay, pointer pup. So you know, uh, it's there's no such thing as an English pointer. It's a pointer. Okay, go, go deeper because you you corrected yourself and now you've made an issue of it. Oh boy! So this is a story, right? Actually, there is a story in the current Quail Forever Journal. Uh, if you're not a member, you should be, so you can read it. Uh, written by Tom Davis, excellent writer, uh, longtime dog man. And he he debunks the myth of the English pointer, uh, the the mythical English pointer, because technically speaking, uh, there is no such thing as an English pointer. It's simply the pointer, and uh, the the English part uh, somehow along the line got tacked on by people who Tom theorizes was were trying to differentiate between pointers and German short-haired pointers, mm. and so it, it, he thinks that eventually. Pointer owners got so tired of, of saying 
you know, were, they're pointers, not German short hair pointers, that they just started saying English pointers just to be done with it. But, uh, but, but yeah, so I have one pointer and three English setters. And uh, the English setter is an actual dog name and, and dog breed. So I, get the, I get the two mixed up a lot. Well, inadvertently, so this is how fast you've uh, taken on the podcasting game. You have made the perfect transition to our featured guest without even knowing it, because he has a German short-haired pointer, and part of his really interesting story is how he named his GSP. So Ruben, it's not in the outline. I'm going off script already. I want you to tell us how you got to the name of your German short-haired pointing bird dog. My Okay, so my first dog was a Dalmatian, and I used to watch Mickey Mouse cartoons growing up, and his dog Pluto was the best bird dog that you've probably ever seen in your life. And um, so... When I got my first dog, the Dalmatian was unintentional. It just happened to come it come across a dog, and, and that was it. And I named him Pluto. So years down the line, I had to get rid of the dog because we moved to a smaller place. I got my short hair, and I named him Pongo after the 101 Dalmatians dog. <laughs> uh, th that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, that's pretty cool. Uh, so so let's back up um, and have you introduce your background to folks. Uh, honestly, we led with the most <clears throat> important piece, right? The bird dog. But we'll back up and you could tell us uh, where you grew up, uh, you know, kind of your family background. And, and then we'll get into how you got started bird hunting. But tell us about yourself. Okay. Well, I grew up in uh, Santa Paula, California. I was there since I, I moved from LA to Santa Paula when I turned eight and then was there until I was 18. Um, graduated from Santa Paula high and went on to live my life in Ventura after that. Um, but I have two siblings. I'm the only boy. So I didn't have any, and I was the oldest. So nobody, you know, I was the one who got into trouble and they learned from my mistakes. Um, mom and dad, uh, I, like I said, I'm first generation American. They came from Mexico, so they're me Mexican immigrants. So, you know, I'm living the American dream. Huh. D did, um, mom and dad hunt in Mexico? They didn't. So my dad said he had gone with my grandfather deer huh. hunting and he's told me stories about that, but never bird hunting or anything like that. They weren't. Didn't mess around with with birds, from what he had told me. So take us to the leap where you start being a bird hunter. What what was that progression? Um, mm, well, I always liked the outdoors, you know. And um, I know I've I've told the story before where um, the cartoons were really what wanted me to bird hunt, you know just from seeing those shorts and, and Mickey Mouse cartoons and stuff like that. So, um, it, right. It's just kind of ironic. It's weird. Like I, people laugh all the time, but Dude, you know what I mean? There's nobody else that's ever said that, that yeah. cartoons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, and so you always, you know, you, I, 
growing up, I never really thought it was real uh, until, you know, I came across people and, you know, and they, oh yeah, we bird hunt. And I know my so-and-so, so-and-so bird hunts, you know, but it would never be anybody that I could actually get some information on, on how to do it, you know? Mm. And, and my parents didn't know the first thing about owning a gun. I didn't grow up around guns. So as mm. soon as I, you know, I was able to, I was doing everything in my power to figure out how to bird hunt. I was always fishing, fishing, you know, the beach wasn't too far away from my house. So we were always there fishing. We would sneak into the golf courses and fish the ponds without getting caught at night. And uh, <laughs> we did that. But uh, I lived very close to a river bottom and we would be down there all day just shooting at anything that would cross, you know what I mean? Like cross by us. Well, now like that I'm older, I know like you shouldn't be doing that. But we would carry a pallet gun around and shoot pigeons, try to shoot. We never shot a rabbit, but we always tried, you know. Huh. But it, it was just fun going out there and just shooting stuff with, with our pallet guns, you know. Mm-hmm. So as I got older, I met people that uh, bird hunted and, you know, the seasons came around and you were, I was forgotten about, you know, because mm. I don't know if A, they wanted – to share where they would hunt or B, they really didn't care to bring new people into the sport. So, you know, so I got older and then I started doing my own research and one thing led to another. I found quail forever in the most randomest spot. So uh, that's perfect transition because the story has been told to me secondhand about how you got connected to quail forever, but I want to hear it from you. Because it, 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 it was sort of a happenstance of circumstances and then some wonderful Quail Forever people um, did a pretty cool thing. So tell us about that. So <clears throat> when I was doing my research online on how to find public land and stuff like that, this company must have a program on if you input your email somewhere, they end up contacting you. So hmm. I got a phone call from this hunt club that I had heard about, but I never given my phone number to them. Anyway, I got a random phone call. I answered the phone. They told me, we're so-and-so from this club. Um, you know, we would love to take some time, come to your house, meet your family, you know, see if you're interested in joining it. And it was expensive. You know, it wasn't cheap joining this club, but my son was getting to the age where I think it was important for him to start being involved with the outdoors mm-hmm. and the guy made it pretty he he preached it that it was safe you know you're not around everybody out every other hunter it's private property so there's you know who's there at the time that you're gonna go so hook like and singer i was hooked i was like okay here's mm-hmm. my money we did it so we had done a couple hunts my son and i and the success rate wasn't wasn't great. I, I didn't harvest anything with the club. So <laughs> one of the years, <clears throat> it was a dove opener. And um, I had the access to the property that they had was where I grew up in, in Santa Paula. So I was like, it's just 20 minutes away from my house. This is perfect. Like I, m- in my back door, you know? And mm-hmm. um I talked to the guy, uh, I call him, I, I make an appointment and everything to go hunt this property. He goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. He goes, I'll meet you there at five o'clock in the morning and I'll show you the boundary lines where the good 
places are, yada, yada, yada. Well, I show up there at 5, and he was nowhere to be found. Hmm. And then 5 this truck, 5 a.m. Then this truckload of, of guys come in through the gate. They start unlocking the gate. And I told them, hey, are you at the, the club? They're like, they looked, and they smirked, and they're like, no. I'm like, who are you guys with? He goes, with, with Quail Forever. Like that, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, and I was like looking at him. I was like, dude, I gotta like, I. This is my make it or break it point. Like, either I ask them if I could tag along, or I'm just gonna have the hardest time trying to figure this place out. Mm-hmm. So I did it. I bit the bullet and I said, hey man, do you guys mind if I tag along with you guys? And they looked at me all weirded out, you know. And he goes, hold on. They walk back into the truck. They're chit chatting for a minute come back around and they're like yeah come on follow us and huh. that was it you know the guy one of the guys that was the 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 president and the secretary treasurer were there and they were like the main guys from our chapter and there was a couple of members of the chapter there i guess they did a yearly dove hunt that now i'm a part of i do it every year <laughs> but that was that was their thing you know and um so we sat down we were talking and they sold me. He goes, you know, Quail Forever is such a good organization. This is what we do out here. You know, we focus on the rebuilding and refurbishing of guzzlers and water for the net, for the for habitat for the birds and this and this and that. And within months, like I, I would say like two, three months, I did my research. I found the chapter and that was, that was it. Huh. Look like I, I was, I was done. I was full, went head first. That's incredible. And, and how quickly on that particular hunt did you feel? I mean, so it's got to be awkward on both sides, right? Like, here's a guy yeah. at, at mm-hmm. 5 a.m. And they're, they're, right. And, they're, and I will tell you, like, I'm, you know, I'm probably the stereotypical guy to stay away from because I have tattoos from my fingertips to my neck. So and come to find out these guys are all retired sheriffs. Hmm. So like they, you know, they're looking at me and they're looking at me from up and like from head to toe. And like oh, I don't know, but I'm I'm just fortunate <laughs> enough they, you know, they 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 did and they they took me along with them. Well, and the same thing on your end, right? You're alone, right. and it's right. five a.m. and it's a group mm-hmm. of people, and mm-hmm. it's like okay, on both sides there's some natural awkwardness, right? Caution, right? And yet. It, the sense I get by you telling the story and by the story being told to me secondhand is like it was instantaneous that you and this group became super easygoing, good friends. Like, like the 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 overlap in the interest in bird hunting like broke down all the barriers within. Right. Minutes. Is that right? Is that an accurate yeah. assessment? Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. You know, I went in there humble enough to like, you know, I'm asking and and being humble about it. I'm not being like, you know, I, I think if I would have gone in it with a different attitude, the outcome would have been completely different. You know what mm. I mean? So yeah, I, I do. Know, yeah. I, I, it has to, be, you know, both sides. You know, you you got to know that, you know, being cocky isn't going to get you anywhere if you want to learn something. So I, I think that that worked out for me. How long did you uh, did you all hunt together that day? So we hunted in the morning. Okay, so the club that I initially had gone in there, 
because of didn't allow dogs for some weird reason. So I had left my short hair at home and I went there by myself. And then from talking to my buddy now, um, he had, at, we were talking <laughs> about dogs. <laughs> yeah, right? It's weird. <laughs> That's funny. And uh, we were talking we, about dogs and he asked me if I had had a dog. And I said, yeah, but you know, the club doesn't allow me to bring a dog. And he goes, oh, no, no. He goes, all right, we're coming back in the evening. Bring your dog. You're coming in with us. I was like, awesome. Yeah. Really? Within yeah. 24 hours? Well, not even. Yeah. It's like 12 hours you got the second invite. Right, right. That, that's it. And, so, and I told him I had a, I had, at the time I had an 11. He was 10. I think he was 10. And he had just gotten his, uh, past his hunter safety course, my son. So I told mm -hmm. him, I was like, oh, you know, I was, that was like my, I was like, if I, if I tell him I have like a son and it might get me even better chance for both of us to come out here. And it worked. They were all about it. Like, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Bring him down, bring your dog. And you know, we'll, we'll, sh we'll shoot some birds. So yeah. And, and funny story now, like I, we were just talking a couple of weeks ago and my son, we went out for dove opener and he was a sniper, just nailing doves left and right. <laughs> and my buddy goes, he goes, just to let you know, he goes, I might kick you out of the club and leave your son in because your son is awesome. <laughs> so I told him, I said, dude, I just got kicked out of the club and now you're taking over. <laughs> how, how fast after that first day of hunting together, did you, uh, you talked about doing some research on quail forever. At what point did you decide to become a member and, and start volunteering? How quickly did that all happen? Um. I'd say within, I think this happened in September. I say by December, January, I was already going to the, to the monthly meetings and stuff that they had. Wow. Yeah. I always kept in contact with them, you know, cause I, you know, they're, they're a great resource of information. So I was asking them questions throughout quail season and they would help me out, you know, and be like, Oh, you know, if you go this Canyon, this is where I've been in the past and I've always been successful. So you know, that's how I kept in touch with them. And then when season was over, I think that's when we started having the meetings and I mm. was there ever since. Now, now, before you started hunting with those guys, did you hunt primarily alone? Yes. Yes. Really? I did. Yeah. Cause I, oh, actually I had friends that we kind of got into the sport together around the some, same time, but our work schedules never jive to where we could go at the same time. There was a uh -huh. couple of times where we did go together, but it was mostly solo. Yeah, with my son. Yeah, so you, so so you didn't really like like get into the group hunt thing till you joined the chapter. Correct. Yes, sir. And, and talk about <clears throat> how many years ago did all this transpire, and you you started becoming a volunteer? I think it was three years ago. Three years. So yeah. what's um what's kept you coming back? What's you know, you talked a little bit about the the knowledge of where to go bird hunting is right. a is probably one of the most overlooked benefits of being a volunteer. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other benefits that you've that have kept you volunteering to the point where now you're the vice president of the chapter? I think just being involved in doing like being involved in helping, you know, the habitat you know, and stuff like that. I think, I think that's what keeps on making me come back and how important it is to, to have, 
You know what I mean? Because there was a point out here where it was scarce and, you know, we're always in a drought. California is always in a drought. So I think, you know, it's, I feel it like a, um, like a calling, I guess it would be hmm. that, you know, I think I should come out and help. And why not? You know, I, I want to start bringing my kids around to stuff like that. Cause it's important to do, you know, to volunteer for things that you think are right. That, that comes through really loud and clear and with heart, heart tugging in the Project Upland film. And the Project Upland film is called, quote unquote, This Exists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it's a little bit about California quail hunting. It's a little bit about hunting, a little bit about volunteering. It's a lot about passing on traditions. Mm-hmm. The, the title, This Exists, tell me what that means to you. Because you say that, that quote is your quote. Um, what does that mean? It means that we have this beautiful things that we're able to do, you know, and, and now in society, like it's almost like a taboo or it's frowned upon when they hear you that you have to go out and hunt and stuff like that, you know, or gen- the generation now is they're all into video games and they really don't know that that's outside in our backyard, you know, mm-hmm. let alone go go hunt your own food and come home and have a nice feast because of it. You know what I mean? I think it's some, especially, especially from a boy's perspective, you know, I I think it's very important. You know, I, I, I I grew up thinking that way and, you know, I just want to pass that on. It it comes through loud and clear when you start talking about your son Mm -hmm. and, you know, you, you've, you've alluded to that a few times that your son is really, uh, it, it appears to be really a passionate, growing bird hunter. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty important to you, isn't it? It is. It is. You know, I think it's neat, like yeah, to have a tradition to do, like every Thanksgiving, Christmas. You know, go out in the morning, the day before, the day after. Like it's something that he could look forward to after he's old and older and out of the house, and you know, mm-hmm. he knows when he comes home for dinner or for the holidays. That's what we're going to do. And I think that's, that's, a, that's something that I want, you know. So I figure I got to start it now and instill it in them. That way it's there for the future. What's, what's that like? What's the hunting culture like for the Hispanic community in Southern California? Is that – did your friends – It's common. It's common. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is. I mean, California is diverse already. You know what I mean? I think we're like the most diverse state there is. We have, you know, everything here. So it's it's common to see Latinos and, you know, Mexican-Americans hunting out here. It's not it's not out of the ordinary, no. It's, so, I, I have a couple of friends, actually, that, you know, now that we hunt together and stuff like that, come to find out they grew up hunting. Huh. Yeah. So when your son goes to school and talks about, oh, we got we got these he, he's got you know buddies that mm-hmm. um, that share those stories too. Right. No, he tells his friends and stuff all the time. You know, he goes, oh, my dad got me a new shotgun, and you know, boys love guns. What boy doesn't like a gun? Grow up playing cowboys and Indians. You know what I mean? It's how how can you not? So. He tells, and his friends don't believe him, and he'll call, Dad, can you tell me you bought me a gun for Christmas? Yeah, I bought you a gun for Christmas. And he, you know, he teach them young, you know, that it's mm. just a tool. 
Right. Right. So obviously, as an organization, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we're trying to be better um, with inclusivity, with recruiting uh, folks that are outside of quote unquote traditional stereotypes. Right. 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 And, you know, I honestly I I'm ignorant to the fact that Southern California Latino Americans are super active in, in bird hunting. How does an organization like us, like ours, um, do a better job of, of engaging with uh, that community to join our call? Co- How do we make more Rubens? Cause we'd love, uh, you know, you know, you know, Ruben I, I think vice president uh-huh. in every County. <laughs> you know, I just think that, you know, quail forever, pheasants forevers are, you know, you think about quail forever, fence forever, you think the Midwest, like that's just, you know, that's what it is. And I think because California is such a delicate and hard state to do anything in, I think we've forgotten about. I think mm-hmm. if, you know, if the organization spends more time or has someone just focusing on California, I think what you guys are trying to achieve won't be a problem. Hmm. programs i know you know there's a lot of chapters out in the midwest that hold youth shoots for for young kids and and stuff like that and out here you know it's hard to do because not everybody has access to property like that or or even want to hold events like that out here so that was one of the things i was going to ask you know as far as as the, the hunting scene in california uh, I, I take it that you're primarily a public land hunter. Yes, sir. Uh, for the for the most part. Yes, how sir. how difficult and or how hard is it to find places to hunt, especially if, when hard. you live in a suburban or, or urban areas? Not not hard. I mean, the place where I go hunt during the season is about an hour and a half away. It, it's not far. You you can make a day trip, no problem. And the access to land is immense. It's it's all over the place. Um, but you know, I don't trying to hold events. Like I know some places have like dog trials and they have, uh, educational shoots for kids, you know, that places like that, I, I'd assume are held at a, a privately owned area that, you know, that we don't have the ability to get a hold of. Hmm. Yeah, some of those are some of them are on public land, but it is a good it is a good point. You know, it is the common perception about the organization being really Midwest focused. So, the idea of um, hopefully this a podcast like this with a guest like you, um, (laughs) you know, it gets heard by new folks because that's the beauty of the organization from the local model, right? Where you get mm-hmm. to raise those funds locally. Doesn't matter. And, and then you get to use those funds locally. So it doesn't matter right. if you live in in Minnesota or Ventura County, California, right. or, you know, um, Montana, New Hampshire, Florida, those dollars, as you well know, as the vice president, right? You get to right. put that, you get to put that to work in the right. communities where those chapters are based. Uh, tell me a little little bit about your chapter's focus. What are some of the the things that you're most proud of the Ventura chapter getting done over the, the 
couple of years that you've been part of it? I think the projects projects that we have with uh, with our guzzler restoration projects. I think it's uh, it's what we kind of focus around, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's probably our the best, the most thing that I'm proud of, really. You know, we just started having bank. Well, not to try to toot my own horn, but I think since since we start, you know, I'm I'm probably I will I no, I'll say this. I'm the youngest one in our chapter, so they get to see things from my point of view versus what they're used to. So hmm. you know, they get some fresh intake on how we think, how I think we should do things and stuff like that. And you know, we. This year would have been our third annual banquet, and uh, because of COVID, we we can't we can't do it. So it's just kind sure. of a bummer. But there's always next year, you know. So so Ruben, so you say you're the youngest one in your chapter. I'm going to put you on the spot here. How old are you? Yes, sir. Thirty-four. Thirty-four. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you want to count my son. He's part. He comes with me too sometimes. So <laughs> yeah, he he'd be, he's thirteen, <laughs> and he's a member. <laughs> so, California quail. <clears throat> it's it's very high on my bucket list. I've never hunted them. Uh, well, so so first question. As a Californian, you call them California quail or do you call them valley quail? Valley quail. Okay. I call them valley quail. Valley but somebody quail. that start like right, somebody that's starting to get into the sport, you you would use California quail because you think California you think of the little quail with the with the little top horn, hat. you know what I mean? Yeah, the top yeah, yeah. Hat, yeah. Chad, have you ever hunted valley quail? I have, nope, I have never hunted valley quail. That's right. one of the things that I want to try to rectify this year. Uh, open invitation if you guys are willing to come <laughs> down to California. So, Ruben, you got two newbies. Tell us about California valley quail. Okay, what do you want to know? How? What do you? What I, do you mean? Well, I would tell. Sell me, sell me on valley quail, like. Um, what you love about hunting them, what it looks like where you hunt them, how they taste, like tell soup to oh nuts. Why, what, what jumps out to you about Valley quail? I think just what, wow, man. When they flush out the adrenaline pumping through your heart, through your body, you know, and how you start shaking because you hear the wings flutter <laughs> out of the, out of the covey first off. But, uh, you know, I think I, I, I like seeing the dog work, you know, that's, that's, that's what I like. I like seeing him work and, and, and me shooting is just a bonus, you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to explain the love I have for it. What's the, um, when, when I've watched Valley quail hunts on television, Mm -hmm. The coveys are enormous. Is mm-hmm. that just a real? No, okay, so they're, they're huge, I thought it was like made for TV. No, no, and it rumbles when they flush up. Like, oh, it's it's big. You could get a covey from twelve to I seen a covey like over a hundred birds. No, I you no joke. I uh, no mythical hundred bird covey. No joke, Bob. No joke, Bob. So, wow. When no, you I, and I, I will. I will prove it to you guys. If you guys come down, I will show you those big coveys. So when you have a covey of 
a hundred, like you could totally flock shoot and hit something, right? You don't even have to yeah, pick a bird you out. can, but you end up missing. <laughs> no, but you still miss. You still miss. How? I've done it. It's a hundred birds. How oh, do you man. You will, you'll know when you feel that rumble, you feel the rumble, <laughs> them wings, you're trying to get it all together, you know, trying to figure out which one you're going to point at. But uh, no, after I think they that's flush the pheasant out, you, know, you coming out. Bob. Have the dog work the singles. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> it sounds so much fun. Do you do you encounter when when I've seen video? You know, it, it looks like mm -hmm. it, you'd find some gambles, maybe some scalies too. Do you come across any other species of quail, or is it purely valid? Mountain quail, mountain quail. If you're in if you're in in good altitude. Out here in this area of California, anyway, uh, you could get up to if you get right in the in the right elevation, you'll find mountain quail. You have pines and stuff mm. like that around. You'll find mountain quail. Um, but valley quail is is main the main bird out here. Then if you want to go up into the eastern Sierras, you could get um, chucker. There's chucker out there. Mm -hmm. I hear that there's northern California. There's pheasant out there, but I haven't gone mm -hmm. that far to look for them. Okay. Now, now during hunting season, uh, you, you obviously have a lot of public land to hunt. Do you do you notice a lot of hunting pressure? Are there enough bird hunters in California to where you you actually notice other bird hunters out in the field? Um, I do notice other hunters out in the field. Not a lot. I might run into one or two while driving around to certain spots, but in the areas where I like to hunt, there. You know, there isn't never anybody else in that field. Hmm. So you can usually have a pretty good hunt without, you know, oh, yeah. running into no other pressure. people. No pressure. Right, right. And like I said, our what? forest is so big. If there is somebody there, just get back in the truck and, and drive, you know, another mile and you'll be into another, you know, potential spot. Are you a, a traveling bird hunter or is there enough for you to do in California that you're completely no. content? No, 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 I'm a travel <laughs> hunter. <laughs> but where do you, where do you go? So I've been to the Sierra still in California, but the only, be, just because I got the opportunity, I've been to Kansas and I've hunted pheasant out there and I hunted Bob White quail there. Really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how, so how did I, you like that compared to California? I love it. No. Okay. So it has its pros and its cons like everything else. Um, I did get pretty sad because I didn't see any mountains around. It was flat <laughs> as far as the eye could see. And that was different for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but the let's say, how do I explain this? The hunts in Kansas were like what you would see in a movie. Like, you know, you're walking through the cornfield. A pheasant will flush up and beautifully flying bird and you shoot it and it falls you know it was just it was like a movie you know i i can't i can't knock it you know it it was beautiful being there did you do that hunt with your son with some buddies i did i did i took my son my no it was uh, a friend of mine he's he comes out to california for work and he's originally from kansas and uh He's the one who invited me to go out there. And this was in the beginnings of where I was starting to get into hunting and involved and stuff like that. He invited cool. me and I took my, it was, we made a family uh, outing out of it. Took my wife and my two boys and my oldest was the one who went out with me and hunt. 
so so now that you've you've hunted both bobwhites and and valley quail, uh, what's your comparison between the two? Um, I have not heard well because I hunted them once. I never heard the bobwhite call, so mm-hmm. I know what it, the call sounds like. I didn't hear it call because usually out here they're very vocal. Like they always like being coveyed up and if they separate from their covey, they're always calling. So you could be walking and you hear them everywhere out there. I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear it call. And I happened to flush that covey complete accident. I didn't even know there was quail there and about a covey, about six flew up and I knocked one out. But, uh, I mean, they fly, they fly a little bit faster, but besides that, I mean, Hmm. same, it's a bird, same bird. When we uh, did a podcast with George Ramirez, also from California, he talked about using a call to hunt yeah. uh, California quail, valley quail, and as well as Gamble's quail. Do you use a call? I used to. I suck, though. Like, I got a dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? I spend my time training my dog, and yeah. he is bred with the instinct on finding those birds, and yeah. I will let him figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. What, what's, uh, what's on your bucket list uh, to hunt? Where do you want uh, – what do you want to chase uh, over the course of the next couple of years with your son? Mm, that's a good one. I like the the sharp tail grouse. Those those are beautiful birds, mm. you know. And I just see like in where they're in and stuff like that. Like the the their background is just um, it's beautiful, you know. Yeah. You don't find that stuff out here. So I think that that's in my bucket list. That would be a good hunt for my son and I. That that's fine. It's a great comment about the beauty of the terrain. I was doing a another podcast here this morning and. Um, the woman made the comment that um, uh, in this podcast that the, the birds that we chase, no matter what the species, live in beautiful places. You know, whether mm-hmm. that's Kansas, right, and the that waving great grass that you're talking about, or the the sharp tails and the great big prairie, or, or the the California mountains that you chase. You know, that's one of the uh, again another underappreciated components of bird hunting is it's it's gorgeous right it's It's all beautiful it's all beautiful yeah yeah you don't get you know and not and how do i say this not everybody gets to see it they could and it's sad it's sad to think that you know nobody's yeah they can but because you know they just won't and we're luck fortunate enough that we love the sport and we get to get into places like that it sort of it reinforces again your quote, the title of the the film. This exists, right? And it exists exactly. for everybody, but for everyone, but not everybody does it. Uh, right? Tell us, tell us how the film came to be. How how uh, how Project Upland came to find Ruben, and and um, what what was that process? So um, Matt Harding, uh, he was with Quail Forever. Uh, I, I think up until recently and yeah, he had done a rep. couple. Yeah. He was a regional rep for the West coast and he was, uh, he and I hit it off pretty well. And, um, uh, he had talked to our secretary, uh, secretary treasurer about 
seeing if I would be interested in doing a film for Project Upland because he had done films with them and stuff like that. And I don't know if you guys seen his films, but I think what's the one that he had just done? Um, he did the Himalayan Snowcock. The Himalayan Snowcock, that one. Yeah. Holy smokes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he he asked uh, Mike, the secretary treasurer, and, and Mike relayed the message to me, and I told him, absolutely. Like, this is great for our chapter. Like, I was looking for it as – you know, getting the word out there for Quail Forever and what we're mm. all about, you know, so it was a win-win situation for us. Yeah. And when he offered it, I jumped on it. Well, I mean, it was why not? So funny story. Uh, this happened like in June one year, last year in June, and we talked about it. And then I didn't hear anything about it until the until January the next year. So I was kind of forgotten about it. I was like, whatever. They just, you know, they pumped me up. Nothing's going to happen. And then I got a call in January that it, we were doing it. I was like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it. Neat. Neat. Yeah. Um, before we, before we close, I know, you know, things are on fire right now on the West coast on mm -hmm. fire in a bad way. And, and that's affecting way. you and some of the places um that you hunt um yes, tell sir. us about the wildfires and some of the some of the ramifications in your area so all the national forests out here are closed if because a they're on fire or b there's a potential of them catching on fire so they just decided to close everything um from what it seems like uh they're giving notices week at a time if they're still closed or not. So now, as of right now, they're closed until the 21st. And then mm -hmm. a new statement will come out that day. And, you know, it'll let us know how much longer they're going to be closed for. And, and what's the impact that those wildfires will have on the habitat and your opportunities to, to be? I mean, we're on the, the precipice of quail season in, in California. Mm -hmm. Um we can draw our own conclusions, but tell us how, how that's going to affect you. I, I mean, of course, you know, if, if it burns up where we usually get to hunt, then we're not going to be able to hunt. And, you know, I'm sure it's going to kill a bunch of wildlife and stuff like that. But, you know, things need to burn. You know, this has happened mm -hmm. since the beginning of time. So, you know, it's a normal occurrence. It just seems it's happening a little bit too often now than it has been before. Um, but um, great things will come mm -hmm. from it. You know, luckily for us, we're able to help by bringing water, water and food plots for these birds and wildlife that we can get it going again, get the cycle of life happening all over again. Right. Uh, any closing thoughts, fellas? I hope these fires are done and over with here soon. We got to hunt. Yeah. When's your opener again? The 17th of October. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ruben, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time and most importantly, you know, stepping up and being a volunteer and not just any volunteer, you, you've, you've raised your hand and said, I'll be an officer and you're, you're vice president of the Ventura County chapter in California. And it all started with a group of 5 a.m. dove hunters. Yeah. And uh, you haven't, you know, the, the foresight to say, you guys mind if I go hunting with you? 
And that group kind of gelled instantly. That's a, it's not only an amazing story, it's an inspiring story. So I hope folks out there listening, when they encounter Ruben at their hunting (laughs) spot at 5 (laughs) a.m., that they say, they say yes to that person too and invite them along because you never know how that could uh, impact a person's life. And in your case, even, even your son's life, because it sounds like- Yes, sir. It's uh, it's enriched both of your lives and your upland lives uh, a great deal. It absolutely has. It absolutely has. Uh, if folks want to reach out to you and and you know ask you questions about you know introducing their kid to to bird hunting or being involved with a chapter or you know even uh, members of the Hispanic community uh, around the country that want to get involved in the uplands. Um, would you mind if they, if they reached out to you? No, absolutely not. I mean, I, that would, that would be amazing if you, you know what I mean? If any knowledge I could have or help out in any way, shape or form, you know, that's what Quail Forever is all about. I believe, um, you, you got a great Instagram handle. Um, that's, is that the easiest way for people to connect with you? Yes. Yeah. And I also run our chapters Instagram account. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So give us give us those Instagram handles for folks. So our chapter's handle is Ventura County Quail Forever. And then my handle is Ruben underscore Mata underscore. So Ruben spelled R-U-B-E-N, right? Yes, sir. Not like the sandwich, yes. Right, because... <laughs> I may or may not have made that mistake before. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm used to it. It's fine. It don't bother me any. All right. So Ruben, R-U-B-E-N underscore Mata, M-A-T-A. M-A-T-A. Ruben, thank yes. you very much for your time. I really Absolutely. appreciate all you've done. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, folks. For, for Chad, the mallard of discontent, and dispatches from nowhere love <laughs> the editor of the quail forever journal and for our featured guest the vice president of the ventura county chapter of quail forever ruben mata i'm bob sapier saying thanks for listening to this episode of on the wing podcast and as always follow that dog something good will rise thanks folks thanks for listening <laughs>